Welcome to Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today, two new films that couldn't be more polar opposite. Detroit, directed by the great Catherine Bigelow. It's about the 12th Street riots back in 1967. And in particular, the disturbing, horrific incident that happened in the Algiers Hotel. It just makes you wonder if things have really changed that much. And The Trip to Spain, it's part three in the culinary journeys of actor Steve Coogan and his British comedy buddy Rob Bryden as they joke and eat their way around the Spanish countryside. Plus, we just finished watching the Netflix series called Ozark, starring Jason Bateman and the great Laura Linney. It is one of the more disturbing TV series I think I've ever seen in my life. Yes, it was. Yes. And it was great. It is. And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. For the trip to Spain, well, I needed a drink and was happy to find it in a glass of wine from Rioja, particularly from Baronia, which I had a chance to visit a few years ago traveling with the owners of Gonzalez Bias. And in light of everything that's happened in this past week, I just... I just wasn't able to pair a wine with Detroit. It just, you know, for a film that took place 50 years ago and to see everything that happened just this past week, it, I, 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 I don't want to make light of it by yeah. by adding a, a wine pairing to it. Instead, I think I'd rather just kind of talk about this film. So, Well, let's talk about this film. So we go into the movie theater. We know we're going to see something difficult. It's been out for a couple of weeks. We know Catherine Bigelow's other films, The yes. Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, and I think she's one of the best filmmakers on the planet. And it's written by Mark Bull, who's not only just a screenwriter, I mean, he wrote both those other films, but he's an investigative journalist that takes all that information, then reconstructs what we think might have happened in the best possible, I, I want to say, journalistic way. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's as much of a narrative as, as a, a historical drama, I guess, documentary kind of look. It is that kind of look. Yeah. And I don't think it comments on itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I mean, if you want to comment on, on all the horrific things you're seeing and make comments about it, you can. But it's not trying to tell you what to think. Right. And there's there's lots of avenues to go down here. But, but uh, by the way, the film came out commemorating the 50th anniversary because it's been 50 years since 1967. It stars John Boyega. That's the kid from... The, uh, that's a kid from the last Star Wars from film. From Force Awakens. From The Force Awakens, and yes. we really liked him. Yes. Uh, Will Poulter is, we've seen his face mm-hmm. before in other films, and he's the racist he's, cop. He, he was in um, Revenant, right? He was in The Revenant. Yes. Yes. Uh, John Krasinski's in this film yes. as an attorney in a completely different role than you've ever seen John Krasinski in, because normally we really like, like him. him. <laughs> yes. Uh, Anthony Mackie is great. He's mm-hmm. really one of the victims in this. And Hannah Murray, who's uh, Jilly mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. is one of the girls. And I didn't know that till I was doing my research after the film. Yes, yeah, she's she's the one who's with Sam. Yes. Yes, and in I, Game of Thrones. I just had no idea that that was her while I was watching yeah. that movie. Yeah. They, they didn't look the same to me. So I'm going to read two opposite reviews, and then we're going to talk about our own feelings mm-hmm. here. So one of the reviews came out by Pete Travers in Rolling Stone, who really loved the film. He said this, quote, Detroit is far more than a liberal howl against the escalating toxicity of racism in America. And Catherine Bigelow, with the same immersively intensity that Christopher Nolan brings to Dunkirk, smacks us down in the middle of a brutal historic event so we can see it and feel it for ourselves. I tend to agree with this review more than the second one, which is by Alexander Nazarian of Newsweek. And he said, quote, Bigelow's characters never come alive, 
moving through the film less as people than ent- entries in a sociology textbook. If Bigelow could get inside the minds of soldiers suffocated by post-traumatic stress disorder, as she did so capably in The Hurt Locker, she can get into the mind of anyone. And in Zero Dark Thirty, she made even CIA interrogators likable. The characters in Detroit, though, black and white, are as flat as the plains of the upper Midwest. I get his point on this, but I don't agree with it. So I'm watching this movie, Detroit, and I know what's going to go down is something that I'm not going to be settled with, Mm -hmm. something that's going to hurt very much so. And it starts with the riots in 1967, moves into the Algiers Hotel in about 30 to 45 minutes into that film, probably about 45 minutes, where you have a group of people that are in there having a party, and I would just say the racist cops Mm -hmm. come in, line them all up, interrogate them, because one of them in that party shot a fake gun, Mm -hmm. a starting pistol out of the roof Mm -hmm. at the cops. And of course they're going to react. And Mm -hmm. of course they're going to come over and try to figure out because they think they're being shot at. Mm -hmm. But but in the minds of the people playing with that gun, they're not. They're just goofing around. And that's the wrong thing to do. There's a bunch of wrong moves by everybody in this movie. And it doesn't comment on it because we're watching it going, why would you make— you an idiot? Why would you you be an (laughs) idiot and do that and bring this on yourself? And then what happens when the cops come into the house and and really, literally, start not just reading the riot act but terrorizing all of them ended up resulting in, I want to say, two deaths mm-hmm. um, in the house and literally brutalizing these people. And some of them made it out and some of it did not. And then it was all a cover-up and then it was a court trial. So all this is documented. But when you're watching somebody as good as a filmmaker like Catherine Bigelow just show what happened. Sometimes I think, for me, it's not a subtle film, but it is because she could have just beaten us down with all kinds of images and did not. When she shows what they reconstruct, what they think happened, according to eyewitnesses and the people that were there, um, it's hard to watch. It's one of the toughest films well, and I've think sat through in a long time because it hurts so much. It hurts so much. Well, and there was an... And it's were, completely racist. There's an interesting... Uh, th- there's so many comparisons to what we are seeing today. But something that was so bothersome is how there were all of these different groups of people reacting. The National Guard was there. The state troopers were there. The local cops were there. And all of a sudden, everybody just starts washing their hands and walking away. And walking away. And and saying, we're out of this. We don't want to be, we don't want to get in trouble. So let's, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, stand up for anybody. We're not going to help anybody. We're You're not on going your own. to yeah. Basically they left these racist cops in this hotel to do whatever they wanted to and didn't didn't go in and yeah. and help. Yeah. And and it never comments on it. It just shows it and you get it when you watch it. It's so disturbing. It's so disturbing. And and it's you know are the people that lay out complicit? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Very much so. And you watch this, and you know it's really easy in hindsight and history to look back at this. While this stuff is going down, every wrong choice is made. Every wrong choice by the people in authority is made. Because once these kids are all lined up, um, they're not in authority. They have no choice to to either die or acquiesce. Well, and that's just it. They're kids. They're and kids. yeah, they're stupid kids. Yes, shooting the, the, the starter gun in the sky was stupid. Breaking but, breaking out windows of your own neighborhood in a riot, in a riot is completely is stupid. Ridiculous. We talk about this a lot. But 
but you're but they're kids. Right. You know, you can't it's it's who's gonna be the grown up in this situation? Who's gonna take care of 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 the people? Who's gonna take care of the people in the neighborhoods? Well, and just that we've seen recently in Charlottesville, this is about color. And this is about this anger. is about a, a, anger and color and a group of cops who, in 1967, that was the year that loving happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the first in 1967. There were still 17 states where it was illegal illegal to be interracially married. A black could not marry a white in this country. It's it seems like nonsense to mm-hmm. me. In 1967, so you still have this. So you also, I mean, and yeah. the film has been out for a couple of weeks, but you do have these two female characters. One of which is is this precious girl who's in game, right. Hannah Marie, right. um, that is there with a whole bunch of African American guys, and so immediately she must be a prostitute. Yeah. She might be, but you know, it's it's there's not even a question of why are you here? Well, you must be a whore, or you can't have a choice in who you want to be with, right? Because it's it's because, all it's all about white racism. Yeah. It's all about racism. Yeah, and 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 the court trial is absolutely um, devastating. Oh, I think so in this. Frustrating. The movie is a little bit long, mm-hmm. but but there's something about this movie that, uh, and it's not doing very well. It's a probably around a thirty million dollar movie. It's probably done about sixteen twenty million. Hopefully, eventually, it'll make its money. Well, back. and so do you think that it's not doing well because I mean. Uh, Topic is very difficult. Um, time of year is probably a little difficult for for a film that might be like this. Well, I, I would question the release of this film in August, mm-hmm. and so this film really needs to come out in October mm-hmm. or November. It's it's that well done. I think it's an Oscar level film, and I think it'll pretty much get overlooked at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think the answer is it's too hard for a lot of people. Dunkirk. Dunkirk has enough, oh, how do I say this? Dunkirk's a different film. It's Christopher Nolan. It's PG-13. Uh, we know it's watchable, but it's also a war film, so it has a bigger envelope around it. Mm-hmm. This is about a, a racial incident that we know what's going to happen, and we're going to go in there, and we know it's not going to be easy. So I, it's, a, it's a harder sell for an audience, and which begs the, the dilemma as filmmakers. Do you make things that more, are more mainstream, or do you honor really what's happening? And I think Bigelow honors this. This is, on its surface, on paper, I don't think it's a money-making enterprise. Well, and, you know, because a couple of weeks ago we did do kind of our, our best of 1967 discussion, which which yep. I think is also kind of timely in, in this film coming out because of the other films that did come out that year. And 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 I think, you know, we've had discussions on, on, on really the sentiment of what was going on in the country. And the yeah. fact, like, I guess who's coming dinner, to dinner could— could come out that year and in the heat of the night could come out that year and and just those two films i think are, are great kind of testaments to the, the the feeling in the country at the time yeah and they were fighting i mean the, the movies were pushing the envelope and pushing that barrier and showing things a lot of people didn't want to talk about back then pushing the censorship but also pushing the black and white issue back in 1967 and as artists will do i think want to push that envelope and i love that they do mm-hmm. and tell the truth about things and that people do get along of different colors and you can be married and you can do this and why are, why is this why illegal is it, it's and a, why is it even a, it's, why is it even a discussion why is it a discussion right and why are we discussing it today 50 years later in many much the same context that we hate people because of the color of their skin, and it's such absolute nonsense. It's, it, and that's why this film hurts more, because you watch it in the context of what's going on. 
and that's why it's a harder sell. But it doesn't make it a lesser foam. Not at all. It is really, really good. And I, it, th- I think it's really good. I, well, and and I think I do think very important for for what is going on right now. I mean, it's you 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 look at what's going on in our world and you hope that we have changed and. And sadly, there are a lot of ways we haven't. Yep, I, I couldn't agree with you. I mean, more. you know, it's I, I'm, I'm obsessed with the Hamilton soundtrack because I'm dying to see the, the, the play. And yet, you know, you look at at the the divide between between uh, political opposites, you know, during the revolution, and and there's a lot of ways that a lot of things haven't changed even today, and and a lot of these sentiments that that were being felt at the time were still. Stop, we're still fighting with mm-hmm. today. It's fascinating. Just yeah, fascinating. You know, and, the, and one other thing about Detroit, there's not that it's a lot of gray area, but there's just a lot of complicity or complacency and complicitness in this film. It's easy to hate the hardcore racist that's torturing somebody, mm-hmm. but it's it's the people that kind of look and walk away, and it's the it's the bad things that some things people on the other side might do to cause this to start. And you look at all of that, and the film doesn't comment on it, and I think it's really important to see all that and to be honest about all those things. It doesn't mean that one's, you know, I mean, it's it's just really easy to to hate the bad guy, but there's so much ambiguity in this film, even though the film is not a subtle film. There's so much ambiguity in what human beings are like and what they can tolerate and what they want to do and the time that they live in, and I think this is a great historical document. So I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when we come back on Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Parent, Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden, they are back together traveling around Europe looking for their next great meal and, as always, with a whacked-out sense of humor. It's called The Trip to Spain, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Well, first it was Britain, and then it was Italy, and now it's The Trip to Spain. It's a chatty little art house movie starring British actor and writer and director Steve Coogan and his stand-up comedy buddy Rob Bryden. The two spend a week or so driving around Spain, exploring the culinary landscape as they do impressions and tell jokes and fine dine in some of Spain's more remote places. Um, the film is called The Trip to Spain. And I, I want to set up just a little background on this. So originally— Can we, can we also just say, you know, because Spain is— um, Spain, Spain is hurting right now. And and it's one of my most favorite places in the entire world. Barcelona is one of the, the most magical cities in the world, and, and we're just— It's a hard. It's hard. We're just really sad. Because uh, while we're recording this, just just happened. Yeah. And, it's, and it gets worse the more you kind of watch this stuff. So our heart goes out to that. Because, as you say, you just walked down that street. I just, I, I, I yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's bad stuff. So the trip to Spain started as a British television series in, in um, 2010. It was called The Trip, the first one, uh, directed by Michael Winterbond. And it's been, a, it's like an eight to ten part series in Britain. And what they did is they took the whole entire television series, whittle it down to a 90-minute or two-hour feature film, and sent it off to America. That's what that was. And that's, well, all three are. Because now, so the last one, which was in 2014, was called The Trip to Italy, where they sent him back out. Yes. And it was an eight to ten-part television series. 
whittled it down to a movie, sent it our way, and we thought the second one was better than the first one. Much better. So now part three uh, <laughs> premiered actually in, in, in on Sky Atlantic Television in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and it was edited down, and we just saw the, tri- okay. the trip to Spain, which they do not go to Barcelona, really. and They, they don't go anywhere. They don't go they, to Madrid. They don't go to, they don't go to San Sebastian. They're supposed to be. They show up in Rioja. <laughs> they, don't, they don't go to, like, the Basque country. They, no. They don't go to Galicia. Like, they, they, they don't. Where did they go? They went to, like, La Mancha. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They went to La Mancha. I mean, and, hey, I could eat some manchego cheese, but let's face it. Is that really where the best cuisine in Spain is? No. Okay, Steve. So here's the other thing that, I, that I've learned about this is that it's based— Steve Coogan plays himself. They both play themselves. And Rob actually hosts the game show on British television. that has okay. been on for a number of years. And some, he's been uh, a television presenter and a stand-up comic— and an actor in a few films, but he's mostly a TV presenter in England and known for that and known for his comedy and did a late night, like a Saturday Night Live show there. But now he's hosting a game show. And Steve Coogan, of course, uh, the, the film he was Oscar nominated <laughs> Philomena, for. Philomena. Philomena. We hear a lot about. Which he brings up all the time. <laughs> so what he's done is rather than, yes, it's based on himself and then, and then a fictionalized version of him mm-hmm. is what he says. This is not his personal life and all the stuff he's going through. They kind of make a lot of that stuff up and play it out as comedy. Of course, as they travel around, they do impressions of everything from Michael Caine constantly yes. to Sean Connery, Connery shot constantly. constantly to uh, probably every British Shakespearean actor <laughs> in the world as they work out their own neuroses. And Rob's character is very happily married. In real life, he has five kids. Mm-hmm. And in in the movie, Steve Coogan is separated or divorced now because that all happened in the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, is running around probably looking for love in all the wrong places. Yes. And, and flirting around with all the wrong people. Here's what I didn't like, because I do like this film. I just will not take you to see it again. But what I did, didn't did like about the film is that the culinary journey was not even up to par this time. Mm-hmm. They just used it as a segue from one scene to another to show some shrimp frying mm-hmm. or some shrimp being sautéed, and they showed too much shrimp. There, is there shrimp everywhere you go in Spain? <laughs> I didn't have that. Because it looks like all they ate was sauteed shrimp. <laughs> they had some anchovies. They started with they some started anchovies. With we some had anchovies. we had some beautiful octopus, some some pulpo with the yeah. and and the there were some nice um Persepes, I think that we had some of the little little barnacles at one point, maybe an oyster or two. But yes, it was not a food film. But there was also something that was very interesting. It could have been better if it was a. Oh food my gosh! Film. I, I'm. This was not my movie. <laughs> not at all. No, I know. Um, and the first one wasn't either. The, but the second one I loved because they did have a beautiful the the incorporation of the Italian countryside and the Italian food, and and it was more of a a journey that. It, this just seemed like they wanted to drive around and make impressions, and there were there were whole rows of people that were dying laughing throughout this entire film. And in the movie theater, in the movie theater, was I one of them? I, you, I you, wasn't you, dying you giggled, laughing. You giggle a lot, but it just like sometimes I'm like, who are these people laughing? They loved it. Yes. So it's just not my British humor, I guess, right. kind of film. Right. But there's also something, I guess, because Steve Coogan doesn't drink anymore, that in the in the trip to Italy, it seemed like we had a lovely um, incorporation of some really beautiful wines. And there were certainly wines poured in this, but you didn't have, I don't know, the whole marriage of food and wine and, and adventure and travel and lifestyle and journey. I just didn't really 
get that in this. It I got, wasn't even secondary. It was third and dairy. Yeah. It, well, and I don't Fourth even really know what the... I mean, it was just kind of a film where they, they talked about how Steve Coogan wanted to get a better book deal that his buddy in reality actually yeah. is probably getting. And it was just very self-centered kind of talking about themselves. I don't know. Not I think Coogan's char- character is very self-centered in this in mm-hmm. this movie. I giggled at all of the impressions. You did. You and, love a good and impression. There were, there were references to very obscure movies and obscure actors and all kinds of things that I love. So I would see this movie with my friend Don, <laughs> yeah. and we would just kind of giggle the whole time <laughs> and end up doing characters on the way home in the car. <laughs> Because that's what we you do. do. <laughs> so it's kind of, it is a guy shtick movie. And I'm saying it's light on food and culinary experience. And that's what's disappointing to me. And the more I think about this film, the worse it gets. But I did giggle through yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes on cable, I'll watch it again in certain parts. But I thought the landscape looked not like it was shot very well. It, it's in it. I mean, that's just it. Or the time of year they went, it was too hot, foggy or hazy. It's or, such a beautiful country, and and it didn't showcase it well enough. No. It didn't showcase the beauty of the land and the beauty of the people and the beauty of the food and the wine and the vineyards and, mm. and the history that that all of, you know, how all of those things come together for this very, very magical place. And And I wish that... I wish that we had seen more of that. Well, I think the same thing, Mrs. Moneybunny. You know, um, it's the hunt for Red October. Anyway, it's not. It's my film, but it's not your film. Let's talk wine, though. because Let's do. Because I did need a drink, and um, we might have had an Albarino <laughs> while we were enjoying this lovely film. But we're sneaking bottles in a lot Gary, lately. Gary, stop. You're stop. ratting us out. I'm not ratting us out. Um, we do it. But I will say, actually, because they did reference Rioja several times through the film, that I think the perfect pairing for this is a wine from Rioja. Um, because it did, in the whole context of what this film was supposed to be remind me of what probably one of my most favorite meals that I've ever had and on any wine trip I've I've been on was a tapas dinner in this little village in in Alta Rioja called Haro at this restaurant called Arope with the winery Baronia and Baronia is part of the Gonzalez Baez portfolio I mm-hmm. had been there um, and this is after I had I had had a, a truffle hunt with the, the Gonzalez Baez folks um, in Somontano, and and it's good to be you. And and the truffle meal was incredible, but this particular meal that we had in Haro, for whatever reason, it was just you know little bites, little little uh, small tapas, and each tapa paired with a different wine from Baronia, and every single pairing was just so perfect. And, and it was everything from, it was, it was so simple. It was just local ingredients, Iberico, you know, beautiful roasted mushrooms, um, a, a fresh, you know, a, kind of a, a guinea hen that, that was very, very fresh, even just because they kind of doctored everything up for my weird eating habits. So you had fish? So I had lots of, uh, some beautiful, um, you know, lovely cod and, and lovely, just nice kind of roasted vegetables, but, but made in a way to pair with these very hearty red wines yeah. of, of Rioja. So it's Menzuela and Tempranillo and, and they do make a beautiful Vira, um, white wine and, and really, really special. And, and Baronia just as a whole, it's, it was kind of created. Gonzalez Baez came together and they're really known as, as sherry producers, but then have all of these other, um, brands within Spain, as well as my favorite gin, London number one, which I, my nice. favorite, my favorite gin, um, 
a blue gin. Uh, and they kind of came together because it was a group of guys that loved to come together and eat and drink and, and share stories. Again, what this film could have been <laughs> and the celebration yeah. of gastronomy and, and culture. And, These guys told stories about themselves <laughs> to each other. Um, and, and really, so out of this love for, for all of, all, all things food and wine and, and, and celebration, Gonzalez Bias was, was formed. And Baronia is one of their wineries. It was started in 1973. Um, some of the vineyards on the property, um, are in Rioja are up or over a hundred years old, but most of them planted from 73. And then, um, I want to say they did some replanting in 2011. They, they kind of have an interesting technique though. And we, we spent a lot of time with, um, Matthias Keha. And I apologize. I'm pretty sure that's how I'm supposed to. Matthias Keha. Yes. I okay. pronounce his name. It's their technical director winemaker joined them in 1996. Really, really, uh, charming. Spanish man, just lovely, um, that kind of brought in some new techniques and, and a lot of how Rioja wines were made in the past. And Rioja, when you say Rioja, it's a region, yes. But when you think of the wines of Rioja, it's Tempranillo. Tempranillo kind of classically had always been aged and American oak, American oak and Tempranillo work really well together, kind of tames. It's a pretty hearty, uh, grape. And so the American oak versus French oak, which we think of most Bordeaux varieties are actually aged in, in French oak. In French oak, yeah. um, and Burgundy, and and you know every wine in Napa Valley, et cetera, et cetera. They usually use French oak, but American oak and and this particular Tempranillo variety have traditionally worked really well together. It kind of tames some of the the nuances. Add it's kind of the the grain of the the oak is a little bit different, so it just works better. But Matthias came in and and kind of changed some of the way that the wines were being aged by using both American and French oak. So it might be a, you know, a French barrel top with, with American staves Stave. or vice versa. Wow. Can you and, do every other stave? Well, and I don't whatever. think that they got that. <laughs> because, American French, American French, well, American French. Well, and, and to like to toast the tops and not the actual barrels or, okay. or and just to kind of change some of the way that the, the aging is actually done. And that's his deal. And it really has, it, it, Brings this lovely nuance to the hmm. wines of Baronia, and then they're they're aging. The we had had one of their reservas while we were there, and it was just a beautiful. We also had a nineteen seventy three, one of the oldest Baronia wines while we were there, and and it was just such a a, a beautiful celebration of of the wines that can be produced in a very elegant style. Riojas tend to be a little bit less expensive maybe than like a Ribera del Duero or, mm -hmm. or wines from Priorat or Toro, some of the other regions. But there's also really lovely elegance and nuance and refinement to the wines. And I think that that they really showcase this very rocky, very dusty, very dry terroir so, so beautifully. We're talking about $30, $40, $50 wines? I'm talking like... Even less than that. Really? I, I want to say, like, you can find Baronia just their entry level for probably twenty, and then maybe yeah. the reserve is a little nice. bit more. So some some um, nice affordability, great food wines, hearty food wines. You know, you think about what this food is, and it is a lot of beef, it is a lot of pork, it is a lot of you know things on the grill, and and that kind of that kind of hearty Spanish um, flair with um, just beautiful, you know vegetables and, and mm. mushrooms and and it was it's a special place. I, well, I, I wish that we had seen a little bit more of that in, in the film. 
I think I could eat that food. I think you'd love it. I, I think, think I'd you'd, like that and food, Mrs. Money Penny. Well, and I did bring back a, a few of the wines, and we've enjoyed them since since then. And they were you enjoyed them quite a bit. Can we go dark? So we, yeah, it's we're all over the 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 board today. But we did just finish watching this new Netflix. Oh, sorry. I think it was ten episodes. Yeah, series on um, on Netflix, and and really, I think it only came out in July. We kind of flew through it pretty fast. Yeah, we did because we didn't. We wanted to finish it because it's it, so disturbing. Well, I had one night where. Um, I had nightmares all night based on what I watched earlier. Yeah. I, I find it all disturbing. But of course, it stars Jason Bateman, but not only does it star him, he produced the he, series. He directed several And he it. directed the first two and the last two episodes. Yeah. And he's really good in this. Well, and I'm going to just kind of preface, like, I had seen it when you were out of town, and I almost started watching it thinking it was going to be, I think of Jason Bateman usually as kind of this romantic comedy, kind of funny, yeah. Jennifer Aniston kind of movie kind of guy. And so no. I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch this Gary's Out of Town. And then I saw Laura Lenny was in it. And I said, no, I'm going to hold off because we do love her. You, you, yes. you, you I think that, that you guys have a very special friendship. I have a friendship with Laura Lenny. And by the way, where was I when I was out of town? You were at the Baseball Hall of Fame. In the induction ceremony f- yes, in Cooperstown for the just, great Pudge Rodriguez. Yes. I was there. Yes. So Bateman, Jason Bateman pl- uh, portrays financial planner Marty Bird. And just the name Marty Bird right now, for <laughs> just the name last name Bird is going to forever haunt me. And Laura Linney plays his homemaker turned real estate agent wife, <laughs> Wendy Bird. They both have so many issues. Uh, the family suddenly relocates from sh- a Chicago suburb to a summer resort in the Missouri Ozarks on a lake because they're involved in money laundering <laughs> and they're involved with bad, bad Mexican drug lords. It's a 10-part series, and they just renewed this week into season two. I'm so glad. Are you? I am, because I just found it fascinating. Well, here's the other thing. It takes place in Missouri in the Ozarks, uh, and yeah, some of the cliches that you think about the Ozarks Very much and so. people that live there, um, but it's all filmed in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Because incentives. the incentives are better. <laughs> so ex- explain to me why you like this. Ex- I just ex- found it fascinating. Well, maybe there I could. <laughs> and I'm in agreement with you. I think it's really, really good. I think that. I know very few people I would recommend it to. It's so dark. Just when you think Ray Donovan is dark. Yeah. And just when you think anything you're watching on television is dark, yeah. and true crime. Yeah. You know, it, but that's what it kind of reminded me of. It had that like American or um, American crime. It had that American true crime, crime, true crime kind of feel. It it's and darker and Ray Donovan esque, and you just know that these people are not making smart decisions, and yet they just keep digging themselves. And they have two kids have that two are involved kids in all of this that are just trying to. I'm so worried for what's going to happen to that son next season. <laughs> when the little, when the boy, how old's the boy? Do you think he's like 12, 13? Maybe, yeah. He rides his bike and parks it behind a gun store, and another kid <laughs> goes in and buys an assault rifle and hands it to him. Because he wants to kill birds. And that he rides are, off on hurting. his bike with an assault rifle. He's, That's how dark the show he's is. Hurt, he's killing birds that are, that, are, that are eating everything. So they come in and they're trying to launder money, and they do it by buying up and supporting local business. Yes. So they, they're going to build a church. They buy a bar. They, they become partners with everybody. Yes. The church people are nuts. Yes. They're just nuts. And then they find out within this little community, and that's probably the last thing I'll say, is that there's a whole nother drug community going on there that involves poppies and heroin. Yes. And they're local farmers and they are bad. They're like right out of they're like right out of what's that weird show 
with Kathy Bates and it's just— It's like American Horror Story oh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The wife scares me just <laughs> looking at her. And you just wait for all of this to just tumble and fall and fall. It's, it's, I think why I like this is because I want to see—I like a good thriller— and I like to have something that's challenging. I agree. It completely. I had nightmares about it. I yeah. was freaked out. I, we don't have nightmares about any TV shows, but this has bothered yet us. Yet this, I I like something that makes you think. And there's, mm-hmm. I think that it kind of is just that testament to to the quality of, of TV and the writing that's going to TV right now. Because it's something that you would not see in a movie theater right now. And yet I love that Netflix is producing things like this. Mm-hmm. They're both really smart people. The husband and wife are both really smart. The kids are really smart and they just cannot make smart decisions. <laughs> or if they do, they think they're doing an intellectual decision that's, you know, down the road is. And then it has random acts of violence that are kind of crazy and come out of the blue uh-huh. and scare you. Uh-huh. So it's, yeah, yeah, so it's fans. on Netflix now. Yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to see the the next phase of it. Yeah, don't watch it with your parents or your grandparents. <laughs> Just you know, watch it by yourself okay. or with somebody who can handle it. <laughs> hey, next time on Kogel One and Film a Perfect Pairing, we continue our journey of looking at films from a different perspective, hopefully making the experience a whole lot better with some great wine. But for more on the films and the wines we talked about today, please check out our blog on CogillConsulting.com or through Facebook. Be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill and see what we're drinking now by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill. And as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.